beautiful music. Thank you very much. Now we look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Verse 1, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Now what does that say to us? The whole world and all who dwell on the world or in the world, belong exclusively to the Lord. That includes you and includes me. You belong to God. The earth belongs to the Lord. If a man is a man, the Lord claims ownership of him. The lowest, meanest, most despicable man is God's property. Now, he may curse God and deny God's existence, but he is still owned totally by the sovereign of heaven and earth, and God shall dispose of him as it pleases him to do so. Man may divide land, and they do, and they parcel it out, and they say, this is your 40 acres, this is my 40 acres, But the earth is not man's to do that with. The earth is the Lord's. And man is only a tenant, a leaseholder. That's all he is. And the true proprietor laughs at the title deeds of worms of the dust because he owns the earth, the world. I talked with a man not long ago. He said, well, I bought 40 more acres. And knowing what I know, I got in trouble, you know. I said, well, what will you do with it? And he said, well, I don't know, I just own it. I said, there's 40 acres sitting out there, and you own that 40 acres. May I ask you what you will do if you die? I don't know. I suppose my children will own it. And then when they come time to die, somebody else will own it. And the whole truth of the matter is this, no one owns it but God. He's the only one that owns anything in this world. 
And the earth is full of God. Full of God. He made it full. And he keeps it full no matter how much demand living creatures put upon it. He still keeps the earth full. The sea is full despite all the clouds of water that rise from it. The sea is still full. The air is full, no matter all the lives which breathe it, the air is still full. And the soil is full, although millions of plants derive their nourishment from the soil. It's still full. And the field and the fruit... The earth and all of earth's wonders are Jehovah God's. He who rules the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air should not be disobeyed by man, but he is. You ought to obey God. You ought to do what God says. Because he owns the land on which you live. He owns the food which you eat day by day. And you're one of the noblest creatures of man. In fact, you are the noblest creature that man has made. And kings and presidents are only his slaves. That's all they are. Well, I rule over all of this. Well, you don't either. President Bush says, I rule here in the United States. No, he doesn't rule here. God rules here. Men are not their own. And this applies especially to you and I who are born of heaven. You've been born again from heaven. And especially, you're not your own. God owns you. And all you have to do on this earth is to serve the one who made you and made you over again. So we do not belong to the world. We do not belong to Satan. But by creation... And redemption, we are the peculiar portion of the Lord. If you've been born again, you're the peculiar person of the Lord. He owns you. In fact, He owns you twice. He made you and He bought you with the blood of His Son. So how can you say you own yourself? No, no. God owns you and owns me. And I believe we need to turn a little air on if someone would slip back there and do that, please. I, I'll have to come out of my coat and I won't be near as pretty as I was if I take my coat off. So put a little air on us, please. Thank you. Now this applies to all 
races of men who are the Lord's. Some wiseacres apply this only to the white race. But Christ made an end of what we call nationalities. Did you know that? Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. Colossians 3 verse 11. The Lord put an end to all nationalities. Colossians 3 verse 11. All right, here it is. Now listen. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew. What are you? Well, I'm a Greek. I'm a Jew. No. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. There are no nationalities of men, and if I ask you what nationality you are, if you're perfectly honest, you'll say, I'm of mankind. And God owns all of mankind, and so therefore there are no nationalities. Mankind is the only people on this earth. Man, I'm a man. You're a man. You're a man. Now when I say man, I mean woman too. The Bible all the way through uses the gender of man, and uh, that means man and woman. And so you are of the nationality of mankind. That's my nationality. Now verse 3 in our scripture reading, Psalm 24, verse 3. Verse 2 says, He hath founded it, founded what? The earth upon the seas, and established it upon the floods, and the, the ground, the dry ground, rides upon the seas and the floods. And then verse 3 who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Now this shows us who are the Lord's in a particular way. They're not distinguished by race, but by character. Character. 
who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place. That's their character, the character of the people of God. He has a special people on this earth, and that tells us who they are. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord. Now, this is uphill work. And no man can climb it. But only those choice spirits who have been given this honor. The Lord will not save all people, but there is a chosen race, a chosen people who are given the desire to commune with God, and who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place. They shall ascend. They go up. And no one but these people are able to ascend into the hill of the Lord. And then it says, who shall be able to stand? Who shall stand in this holy place? Or you might write in there, or continue there. Who shall continue there? To stand is to continue. And this is the holy place. No one but those who are made holy by the righteousness of Christ can ever live in the glory of God Almighty. You see that here. This is the teaching. And certainly the law will not bring us into God's presence, but rather the law shuts us out from Him. Grace is the only thing that can make us fit to behold the divine presence of God. So may we examine ourselves and ask the question, Lord, is it I? Am I able to ascend into the hill of the Lord? Am I able to stand and continue in His holy place? Am I one of those? Lord, is it I? Do I have the right to enter into God's presence? That's what the question is. Do I have that right? Well, let's see who does and who does not. Verse 4, He that hath clean hands. He that hath clean hands. This is outward, practical Holiness, which is always a mark of grace. Outward holiness. Practical holiness before the Lord. It is a fact that many have perverted the doctrine of justification by faith and they treat good works with contempt, but that's not true. Good works are... Holiness on the outside being shown that you have holiness on the inside. 
24, look at verses 7 through 10 in this chapter. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. And if you ever are able to ascend and come into His presence, you'll find yourself in the presence of the King of glory. He that hath clean hands. If we are morally defiled, we shall not enjoy spiritual fellowship with the Holy God. In other words, what you are inside, you will live that outwardly. And you will not be into all the defilement, all the sin that this world is filled with. You will have clean hands. That's outward morality, outward holiness before the Lord. And if you're morally defiled and you're not living before God in holiness, don't you take any stock in the fact that you'll be able to ascend into the hill of the Lord. Because those who know God, they live in this world before Him in holiness. He that hath clean hearts. And notice, where do these clean hands come from? A pure heart. You see that? A pure heart. Clean hands come from a pure heart. True holiness is heart work. Our hearts are more truly ourselves than our hands are. What you are inside shows a whole lot more what you are than what you do outside. But outside you do what you are inside. True holiness is heart work. The very life of our being lies in the inner nature. The inner nature. What we speak means nothing if our hearts are opposed to holiness. Psalm 28, verse 3. Look at this. Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. You see that? Mischief is in their hearts, or evil is in their hearts. They speak good things, but uh, mischief is in their hearts. 
evil, wickedness, sins in their hearts. Hmm. All men must live holy outwardly, and inwardly they will be holy because dirt in the heart throws dust in the eyes. Your heart must be holy and clean, and that's made that way by God Himself. And then, and then you're holy outwardly. You're not perfect, but you're holy. Nobody has the awful idea that I'm talking about somebody perfect in this life. Because I am not. You're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And we never will be until we come into the presence of our blessed Lord. And then we will achieve that perfection that He is. And notice the next thing, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. All men have their joys by which their soul is lifted up. Now those of the world, the whirling lifts up his soul in carnal things. Now listen to me, carnal things by which his soul is lifted up. He loves what? Riches. He loves honors for himself. He loves prestige. He loves fame. He loves all of these things, and all of these things are empty vanities. That's all they are. Everything in this world is an empty vanity except that which God does. But people do not know that unless God reveals it. I I read about people looking for a lost gold mine. Oh, I tell you, if they could just find that lost gold mine, they'd have it made, wouldn't they? Yeah, wouldn't have it made. But they kept looking all of their life, and some of them came to die. And one of them looked at the others, and he said, If I just had one more day, I'd find it. If I just had one more day, I'd find that lost gold mine. Oh, oh really? Would you find it? Haven't found it all your life. Does the world satisfy you? Let me ask you that question. What would you like to have in the world? Does the world satisfy you? Hmm. If the world satisfies you, you have your reward. And that's all you'll ever have. Moth and rust will corrupt and thieves will break through and steal, our Lord said. So if you had the whole world, somebody would steal it or moth and rust would get it and it rusts all to pieces and everything would disappear in this world. 
Our Lord said, take no thought for your life. Now, he meant there, take no anxious thought for things that you want and things you would get if you could. Take no thought for your life. Solomon had it all, and he found out in the end, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, what did he find out in the end? He had it all. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2, verse 11. Solomon, what did you find out about it? Verse 11. Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and he had everything there was to have, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. No profit under the sun. I looked at everything. If he'd have lived in this day, he'd have had 20 Cadillacs and, and a whole hill full of Beautiful homes and all of those things have ten billion dollars in the bank if he lived in this day. But he would look up one day and say, it's nothing, there's no profit under the sun. You young people, what are you going to look for when you get out into life and begin to work? Will you, you going to look for riches? I'll tell you, the only thing worthwhile are the things of God. Because you're going to die too. See, I'm getting closer, and Brother Archie back there, he's getting close too. He's not as close as I am, maybe. But uh, we're going we're gonna to pass on out. Hmm. Now notice what he says here, nor, nor sworn deceitfully, in verse 4, the last part, nor sworn deceitfully. God's people are people of honor. If you belong to God, you're a person of honor. Your word is your oath. And false speaking will shut a person out of heaven. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8 What do you have to do to go to hell? Just tell one lie, I guess. Revelation 21 and verse 8 But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and notice... All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How could we have fellowship with the God of truth if we ourselves are not truthful? Tell the truth. Young people, you tell the truth. When your teacher asks you a question, do you tell your teacher the truth? How about your mother and daddy? You always tell the truth. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire. 
I hope you always tell the truth. Verse 5. And we're going to get through it a minute. Verse 5. He shall receive the blessings from the Lord. Talking about the one in verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The persons who are described here by their inward or outward holiness are not saved by merit, but their works are evidences by which they are known. He shall receive the blessings of the Lord if... He does not swear deceitfully, nor lift up his soul unto vanity. And if he has clean hands and a pure heart, the great King God hath clothed these people with grace out of his own free love. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. And the true child of God wears God's wedding suit and he says that the Lord provided it. Do you see that? From the Lord in verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. God gives it. Anything you have worthwhile, God gives it. The Lord gives it. Hmm. They're honest people. And they are people who do not uh, swear deceitfully or lift up their souls unto vanity. I read about a man in a, in a village that sold wood to his neighbors. And uh, he had the habit of cutting their wood two inches short so he'd make more money. But they all noticed that and somebody said, well, did you know that he has come to know the Lord since he got into the wood business? They said, well, we don't believe that. So they sent a man to investigate that and he came back and he said, it's true. But he's been converted because he's cutting the wood four foot two inches long instead of three foot ten inches long. He's honest. He turned honest. Now I tell you what, you know the Lord Jesus, you're going to turn honest. Man, uh, on a streetcar and someone heard him tell this story, he said, I'm careful about paying my fare on the streetcar because one time I didn't give the conductor the money and I hid it back in the back and kept the money for the next time I'd ride and when I got home I told my old daddy about that and old daddy said well son you sold your honor for a nickel 
That's a pretty good rebuke, isn't it? He sold his honor for a nickel. And that's what some people do is sell their honor for a nickel. Hmm. Look at Psalm 32, please. And we'll finish up here. Psalm 32. Verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Verse 11, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Now the word blessed here is the Hebrew word that means very happy. You want to be very happy? Webster said the word means to bring pleasure or contentment. Now according to this definition, I am a man who is very happy. Very happy. I'm filled with pleasure and contentment. I'm blessed forevermore. I'm blessed of heaven, blessed of earth, blessed for time, blessed for eternity. All of these things. And I hear somebody say, yes, me too, but we're so much in debt. Oh, but your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So much in debt is nothing. Your sins are forgiven. Remember, your sins could still be on you. For God said, Cursed is every man whose sin is not covered. Think about the extreme value of having pardon and justification before the Holy God. And since you cannot buy it, then the sinner says, How then can I be pardoned? Let me tell you how you can be pardoned. The sinner has a tendency to say, Well, I'll be good from now on, and that will atone for all my sin. No, no. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The holy law holds the sinner in a death grip until the penalty is paid. The penalty must be paid. And so the sinner realizes that all his past black sin are still after him. And he asks the question again, How then can I find my way to heaven? How can you do that? You want to go to heaven? How can you find your way? Are you a real, actual sinner? Are you? No, I mean real sinner. I know you're a sinner, but I'm talking about a real sinner. A sinner full of all the iniquity of depraved man. I hope you say yes and mean it. And remember, if you are a real, actual sinner, then Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You're the one He came for if you're a real, actual sinner.
your sin is really covered if you're that kind of sinner. The blessed man is so pardoned that all the powers of hell cannot condemn him and nothing that happens can ever destroy him. Are you blessed? Can you say I'm a debtor to mercy alone because Christ has had mercy upon me? If Christ stood as your substitute, you are justified just as if you had never sinned. He paid the penalty and therefore you have you have clean hands and a pure heart. And when you come before God Almighty, He'll see your clean hands and your pure heart. Why? You've been washed in the blood of the Son of God. You've been washed clean. You're white as snow in His presence because you've been washed in His precious blood. And there's no other way, my friend, for you to have clean hands and a pure heart except through the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help you to look to Him today and be washed clean white in His sight. All right, let's bow in prayer. Lord, I thank You for these these great truths that are in Your book. And I pray for everyone in here that everyone might seek a clean hands and a pure heart. And I pray, Lord, that You would be pleased to give that to them, that You would wash them in the blood of Your dear Son, and they would come forth white as snow to know the forgiveness of sin forevermore. Thank you, Lord. I pray you'll take the ill presentation of your great truth and take it to the hearts of men and women and young people that everyone here might know thee and find forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's dear name, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. God bless you. Make the visitors welcome, please.